This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. Enid Blyton once said that the best way to treat obstacles is to use them as stepping stones. Laugh at them, tread on them, and let them lead you to something better. Every now and again you meet a person in life whose energy and spirit instantly lifts you. Someone with a story so incredible that you cannot fail to be inspired. Jenny Galt is one such person. This week on Frontierland I'd like to share with you her journey. One that is filled with immense personal challenges, but one that she has managed to not only overcome, but also embrace. I won't spoil things here for you by even trying to explain what this remarkable lady has been through and has actually achieved. Prepared to be inspired. Enjoy. Jenny, what a pleasure to have you in the studio today. I, I don't really know where to start. You've got such a colourful profile, but uh, let's perhaps start with this. Your tagline is born to adventure. Were you always so outgoing and driven? Uh, Dean, hi. We've, I've always had the most uh, delicious uh, lifestyle and lifestyle adventures. Um, we were born in Zimbabwe, my brother and I. We were born in Bulawayo, um, and um, life was anything but dull growing up. It, uh, we, we were outdoors, we swam a lot. In fact, we spent our lives in the swimming pool, and it was, uh, yeah, we travelled a lot to South Africa, and it was never, it really was never a dull moment. You, you've um, recently climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. It's incredible. You've made it to Everest's ba base camp. What would you consider your greatest achievement in terms of your, your climbing exploits? Then? All right. Climbing is just such a phenomenal um, subject for me. So what actually happened, it's a, a very new um, subject for me. In fact, uh, probably just over a year and a half ago, I was anything but a climber or an outdoor. In fact, I'd never actually slept in a tent. Um, and we were, I talked my hubby into taking us down to uh, Plettenberg Bay, to Roberg Island for the weekend. I'd said I'd wanted to walk around the island. He did remind me that I was capable of a, a solid three kilometer round the block walk um, and that uh, uh, Roberg was a little bit tougher than that. But at the end of it, six and a half hours later, I was absolutely high as a kite. And that was the start of it, to the point that on the way home, I said to him, right, I've got a stunning idea. I'm going to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, he nearly crashed the car and said, no, this was a really, really silly idea. But it started a lifestyle change that I've lived and loved every single minute of. And in fact, a year ago now, uh, I was actually on Kilimanjaro three days into my, my climb and it was the most incredible experience in the whole world. I believe everybody should have a chance of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, it will always be my favourite place in the world because it was my first mountain and I would go back there only every single heartbeat if I was given the opportunity. Um, that being said is when I'd done it, I knew that I wasn't finished with the mountains. And in middle of this year, I thought now's the opportunity to tackle base camp. And with the help of a lot of people in town, I managed to do that uh, a little over three weeks ago. I was at the, the summit of Everest base camp. Yeah. Um, amongst that, um, whilst I was there, I took the uh, opportunity of uh, climbing Mount Kalapatar. That is my highest mountaineering 
experience right now. Um, it is the others are, are sort of trekking mountains, but Kalapatar has a two hundred meter climbing section, and it just gave me it gave me such clarity climbing this mountain. My Sherpa had said to me he didn't really want me to to climb on that day. The weather had been absolutely abominable during my whole expedition. My first 11 days of um, Everest Base Camp, I saw no mountains at all. And um, on the morning of my uh, Kalapatai expedition, I woke up and I saw Mount Amadablam, which is a beautiful, beautiful mountain in the Himalayas. And I thought, no, I've got this. So four o'clock, I head off up the mountain against everybody's good advice. And it was difficult. It was slow. It was difficult. I knew I was going to get to the top. And at about 6.30, I broke above the clouds and got the most exquisite view of Everest. And that was the first view I'd had of Everest. The sun was just peeking over the top of it. And in the forefront uh, of Everest is Mount Lutze, which the two always go hand in hand, the fourth highest mountain in the world. And I just knew at that point that's where I belonged. Um, so we carried on and carried up, 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 up and um, got to the last 200 meters. And I looked at this, I thought, wow, all right, I'm not qualified to do this, but the summit is there. It's just, just in reach. Gloves on, boots on. Uh, we went for it and I got to the top. And when I got there, I sort of sat down at the at the summit uh, step and looked at Everest. My Sherpa said, come, Jen, look at Everest now. And the sun was totally rising up uh, above Everest. And it was it was like a dream. Uh, you've got the clouds are lying just below you. Um, you've got a 360 view of all the mountains. They call them the, the great whites or the white giants. And it's all these 8,000-meter mountains. And it it is peaceful beyond words. There was not a breath of air. There was no snow because we're above the clouds. It was clear the sun was warm, warm, warm. It was about probably about minus seven, but there was no feeling that. And just to breathe that air and just to be there in that space is is quite magic. I can just sense your passion. You, you, you're you travelling back there now, aren't you? Yeah. It was a life-changing moment for you, wasn't it? It is a life-changing moment. Uh, um, Mount Kilimanjaro was a life-changing moment, um, summiting that. Um, just to ba- uh, jump back to that, uh, it took me um, the best part of seven and a half hours to on summit day to summit um, Kelly. And when I got to the top of it, I sent a voice note home to my hubby Brucey and our son Beansy. And I said, to quote a famous, famous dude, I'm sitting on the top of Kilimanjaro and I can see a new tomorrow. And when you're sitting there at that point, life makes sense. It is clear. And what I did was it sort of, enlightens me as to life itself as being above the clouds and being on the mountains at that point. So this is an amazing story because for people that don't know you, and we've got to refer to this, Jenny, you have faced some incredible challenges in your life, certainly in terms of medical and health issues, challenges that would have been enough for, for many people, that's for sure. Can you explain those challenges and how you overcame them? All right, Dean. My medical rap sheet reads like a very badly written story. Um, 2007, I had a series of eight heart attacks. Four minors over a period of six months that I simply did not know about. Um, They did the most damage to my heart and four majors on one day. They came 
came out of the blue. The day was a Friday. Um, it was school holidays. Uh, our son is six years old. We were going to see Nemo was coming out. We were supposed to go to the movies in the afternoon. I was eating salad, drinking a glass of water. I'd done a 7K run in the morning. Fit as a fiddle, uh, no major histories of heart disease of any kind in the family, and I felt funny. Um, it was the oddest sensation. Um, I'm highly allergic to bees, and I thought, wow, I must have been stung by a bee. I've, I've been stung once in anaphylactic shock, and I thought, oops, my EpiPen is upstairs in our house. Phoned my hubby and said, Brew, you better get here. I think something's wrong. I think I've been stung by a bee. He said he just sensed it wasn't. He said, can you see the bee? Did you feel the bee? No, no. He said, don't get the EpiPen, which I'm rather glad he suggested that because that would have been a few tickets. But um, yes, I was in the middle of another heart attack. And um, the longer, the short of it is um, I had a, a bypass and um, I have three stents in my heart. The lower left chamber still is in constant fibrillation and will be forever. It never repaired itself. Um, but that's okay we kind of overcame that because of that there was always a danger that I would have a stroke and I did there was a clot left in my heart that they couldn't clear at the time and um, a couple of days um, out of hospital I had a stroke um, that that was the greatest period of time in hospital um, it affected my speech nerve very badly and for a long time afterwards um, I had to relearn to speak again and um yeah, uh, it, that was really, really unpleasant. But again, you get on and move move forward on that. Um, 20, 2010, we were living in PE and I was having a little bit of hip sort of anal pain and went to a, a bone doc and he said, I've got bone degenerations. And in 2010, I had my left hip replaced in 2012. I had my left hip replaced. I'd asked him if this had been because of sport and... Um, I'd done um, a Durban Ultra, which was the equivalent of an Ironman back in 1996 and 1997. And I thought maybe I'd run too much or I don't know. And, and the doc said, no, it was just a little bit of bad luck. So I was running out of bad luck at that time. And then I thought, yeah, OK, got over those. And, and 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So... I have to do a shout out for breast cancer guys right at this point. I was my I found my breast cancer through my annual checkup. I do my checkups in April every year. My my simple thing with life is that I cannot be your friend if you don't do your mammogram. I simply can't. Um, you need to do it for your your family. You need to do it for your husband, for your kids. You need to do it for your mom. You need to drag a pe people with you. We all hate it. It's not nice doing mammogram day. I think it's the funnest day of the year because what we do is we go and have a mammogram and you all go out and you have a glass of wine and have a beautiful afternoon and go shopping. It's the spoil of having a husband need to give you the credit card or partners and it's a big spoil day because mammogram day is not the baddest day of the year. And early detection saved me. Mine was very aggressive. It wasn't there the year before at all. Um, it was a malignant tumor that had grown to um, 16 by 18 mils. And it was it was attacking really badly. So I had a double mastectomy. And um, yeah, I've been on treatment uh, ever since. That sort of came into part of the reasons why Kilimanjaro was so important to me at the time was the... Um, I've gone through all this. I've put my family through all this. Um, I don't feel like just taking COVID as it came then and just becoming a nothing. 
I mean, having spoken to you, I mean, it's an incredible story. As I say, just one of those ailments or conditions would have been enough for most people. <laughs> you've not only rallied back, but you've changed your lifestyle. You've you've become this inspirational figure where you've, look, I mean, you've, you've climbed Kilimanjaro, you've, you know, Everest and all these other things. And we'll talk about your future, future um, adventures, <laughs> because I know you're not done. Um, so, for, so for me, it is an inspirational story uh, to not sit there and feel sorry for yourself, but to get on and, and, and do that. And do you think that's because you've got an inner drive? You were given a second chance, as it were. Where did that sort of inspiration to do this come from? I think, Dean, I honestly think that during COVID, during the walk at Plettenberg Bay, I actually hit a realization point that I was 55 um, last year and I thought 55 is going to count. These years, they go in and out. We say to each other timelessly, the year's almost over. Oh, my goodness. And I don't want the years to go past. I want every moment to count. That sounds like such a cliche. It isn't. The only way to make time slow down is to enjoy everything that you do. Some days training, when the wind is blustering out there at 55 to 65 kilometers an hour and it's freezing cold, it's not nice to don on your 12 kg backpack and think, I need to walk 20 kilometers today because that's what my schedule says so. And I need to test this gear to make sure that when I'm in those conditions, it works. But if you don't do that, if you don't do the bad times, you don't get to the good times to sit on the rock on the top of Kilimanjaro and send a funny message home and play Johnny Clegg all the way down in your ears, knowing that you did it. That's what the drive is. Um, we don't get to sit on the couch. We don't get to drink too much wine. I used to drink way too much wine. I've probably switched to way too much coffee, but you know what? That's okay as well. We, we can have the bads, but you've got to do the goods. That's with cancer. Cancer taught me anything is that there has to be a balance between the naughties and the nice. Yeah, life's all about balance, isn't it? It that, is. And I hate that word. It's such, it also sounds like a cliche. But it is all about balance. And, yeah, if, you've got to do, if you want the prize, you've got to do the time. Yeah, no, to- totally. Now, I want to talk a little bit now about your day job because, again, it's another facet to this incredible <laughs> life that you lead. In 2017, and I, I, I'm, I don't want you to be too modest here, but this is what was said. You were described as the most talented fashion jewellery designer in the world. I mean, quite an a- accolade. So tell me about the special talent that you've got. All right. This is this is um, a dream come true. I mean, when people say that they hate their day job, I don't like doing tax returns and putting in my books and blah, blah, blah. That's a headache. But my day job is creating and making jewellery. And that's what I live for. I started in 1984. I'm actually a qualified Cordon Bleu chef. And um, once I'd finished uh, um, uh, chef school and got my uh, degree, I said to my dad, I've made a big mistake. Papa, I want to be a goldsmith. And he said, nope, we're not going to pay for any qualifications. Uh, If you want to do anything, you're going to have to go out and learn by yourself. So I've done it on the bench. I've done it um, by the book. And I've done it hour by hour, yeah, self-teaching and mentors. And I am. I'm really good at my job. And I don't say that. In fact, that's the first time I've ever said that on radio. But I do. I love my job. I look at my desk and it shines. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun comes across my desk. And whether I'm working on diamonds, moissanite, uh, Swarovski, it just shines and the world makes sense the world is full of color and um to tie in the both between mountains and jewelry is uh i've been asked to uh, do i get the inspiration in the mountains the answer is simply not really but the mountains give me clarity 
to think. And when I get back to my desk, the ideas just fall into my head. And I think that that's in life as if if you if you give yourself the time, the the privilege of the clarity, the work will actually make sense. It doesn't matter what you do. Where are you most at home then? On in the mountains now. Really? <laughs> yeah. I would go and uh, I would find a tent and I would camp in the mountains forever. Yeah. Having spent uh, uh, 16 days um, hiking to and back from Everest Base Camp with the most basic of basic um, facilities and um, uh, quite disgustingly not being able to have a full-grown shower and anything that 18 months ago, if you said to me that's what I would do, I would have laughed you off the planet. Um, yeah, I still would go out and live in the mountains. As I said, I sense you're uh, not done by a long stretch. Um, what's next? You keep mentioning Antarctica. Now, what's so special about that for you? All right. Antarctica, to go to, to, to be on the top of the bottom of the world. We live in the Southern Hemisphere. It makes sense to me. Um, that is my absolute goal and dream. It's one that if I ever hope to achieve, um, what I would do is I would be putting our 50 plus ladies out there and saying, guys, we can do it. You don't have to be just be. If that's what your dream is, we can. Somewhere, somehow, I will get to the top of the base of the world and um, to be in the white desert, to just see clean, clear. I guess it boils down to the sparkle. Uh, the pictures that I see, the snow just sparkles. They call it a certain kind of starlight when it's, uh, it, it snows there, and but the sun is shining. Um, the glint that you get off of this effect is is quite something. I want to see it for real. I want to see where the penguins come from. Well, it's a link we've got, of course, with Algoa Bay, so I hope you report back because it's Oh, hell yeah. It's something we, we, we've <laughs> come and tell the penguins that their family's fine. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing is, of course, is the big environmental pressures that we've got. I, I, just thinking about that now, on your travels, do you see evidence of, of, of the pressure we're under at the moment as a, as a planet? Oh, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love Tanzania. Tanzania brings me back to my roots. I'm born in Zimbabwe. I live in, I live in love in South Africa. Uh, Tanzania is just sort of the devastation from um, overeating and not turning the land over. And you go through five climatic zones in um, Kilimanjaro. And it just, it's shockingly sad. And it boils down to education education, knowledge, talking about it, sharing. There can never be enough of that. Our jo job as people is not ever done with sharing the effects of what we do. Being in Kathmandu and walking through the Himalayas, water, the, the amount of water that falls off that mountain, I have never in my life seen that much water. And yet the water is filthy. You cannot drink the water straight up out of this this absolute mountain pour that you would never survive if you try to swim in it. Um, and you cannot put your bottle under it and drink from it because you will get so frightfully ill. The water's filthy. Kathmandu, um, sorry guys, but your your water works and and the, the, the water that runs through the city is just walled up with plastic bottles. It's disgusting, if nothing else. It's tragic. And you see youngsters drinking out of a bottle. You can, I, I make enemies all the time. They'll throw it down. You say, pick it up. And they look at you. They don't realize that they've done something that bad. Education is, has got to be on the forethought of everybody's head.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. I know you're so passionate about the environment and about our wildlife. We met recently at an event supporting the uh, Run for Rhino yes. um, uh, cause, of course. Um, for me, it's 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 trying to it's trying to make a difference where you can. Um, I noticed that you support a lot of these charities, but yes. one of the one of the things closest and forgive the pun closest to your heart is <laughs> that you're you're an ambassador for the uh, Heart and Stroke Foundation of South Africa. Can you explain why that is so important? You obviously you've you've uh, been affected in that way in terms of your own health, but what work do they do in South Africa, and how can people help? All right, so um, Heart and Stroke Foundation are incredibly close to my heart, and it is really important to support them. One, they should be getting money from government and we're not here to get political, but they don't get nearly enough. So they rely heavily on sponsorship. Um, what they do is they do drives every year to try and get, and they've got moving vans and they've got moving stations in shopping centers that are free of charge to get people's health and blood checks, um, blood pressure, uh, glucose, and find out we have a really, really bad uh, percentage of heart disease that can be avoided. So um, because blood pressure is too high, um, because blood sugar is too high, our diets need to be adjusted. Um, they're out there putting the message out there all the time, offering the facilities to people who have no money to say, right, come and let's do it. And then they follow on with the next step is what happens if you do have something wrong with your, your blood pressure, or your sugar, they can help out. Um, to get something done to avoid you having a heart attack and leaving a, a family alone. Stroke in the country is the biggest, biggest um, cause of death. And um, they're called the Heart and Stroke Foundation of South Africa. And they concentrate a lot on education for youngsters, what youngsters have to look out for when somebody is having a stroke that they're not just pulling a funny face, that there is actually something wrong and teaching youngsters what to do in that situation because it it is. I know what, what it's like having a six-year-old at home and trying to explain to him what actually happened. Um, and that, yes, education is just everything. But Heart and Stroke Foundation need all the shout-out that I can ever give them. Um, because of them, they were by my side through thick and thin. They were by my side. I don't have a reason for why I should have had one heart attack in the first place. Um, so standing by me, allowing me, um, I did a speech for them um, to say thank you to the first responders, which are the paramedics who come to your rescue. Um, they organize that and they run courses with the paramedics to look out, especially for heart attacks and stroke and how to, to save them. If it wasn't for first responders on I don't know how many occasions, um, I would have had a full-blown stroke. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. And like you say, a lot of these charities and organisations do provide valuable work. And, and clearly, uh, you're an ambassador in the true sense of the word. You've experienced the support. You've experienced yeah. the work they do at first hand. And now you haven't forgotten that. And you've gone on to... Uh, well, live a live a more than full life, which is which is inspiration. I'm sure every anybody listening to this um, will will agree with me that uh, well, Jenny, she puts me to shame. I thought I was <laughs> I was addicted to exercise, and uh, I uh, you know I kept myself fit. But no, uh, given those challenges you've been through, Jenny, it's quite remarkable, really. And as I said, um, here's to many many more years of you climbing mountains, getting to the top. And I think a nice way to finish another thing, another string to your bow. If anybody who follows your social media, there were no 
know you're not only a very talented uh, um, a maker of jewellery, uh, uh, obviously an inspirational mountain climber, an adventurer, but also you write the odd poem. And I think <laughs> the one that really caught my my eye was that it was your was your born to climb higher poem. So perhaps if you could just read this for us to end. All right. Thank you so much, Dean. I don't know that uh, any um, English speaking, real English uh, uh, profs out there will be so um, impressed with my English, but bear with me because this does come from the heart. I know I will see the mountain as soon as the blinding fog clears. I will be able to move, dream, imagine and create. I will not stand still. I will grow and I will evolve. I will wade through the obstacles and I will celebrate my victories. I will work with vibrant adieu and I will love with intense passion. A life of adventure, success and surprise will be mine because I was born to climb higher. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za. I hope you found this episode both entertaining and inspirational. Please do download, share and subscribe to the podcast so that we can highlight the positive stories coming out of our nation. South Africa is indeed a special place with special people. You can find out more about me at my website, deanallen.co.za. Please do get in touch. So until next time, please be kind to yourself and others. Goodbye.